when I was pretty young, maybe six or seven, my mother and grandmother took me to see a local production of Godspell, the musical based on the Gospel of Matthew. This particular production was at a local Presbyterian church, and it felt really radical and strange to be going to a church that was not the Roman Catholic church I grew up in. Heck, it even felt radical and strange to be going to church at a time that wasn't a Sunday morning. But I quickly transported away from the strangeness and differentness and into a beautiful world where Jesus and the people Jesus spent time with looked like me and acted like me, or at least kind of like me. After all, the actors in Godspell traditionally wear clown makeup, which I traditionally do not. Or, and maybe this is at the heart of this musical experience, maybe the most radical thing was how Jesus was portrayed in contrast with the image of the crucified body of Christ that I sat in front of every Sunday morning at Mass. This Jesus dressed differently and talked differently and acted differently. His disciples felt as much like his friends as his followers. And when he died in the play, he did not rise. And still, his disciples loved him, and still, they rejoiced. My family had a cassette tape of the original cast recording, and after seeing the play, I fell in love with the music, listening over and over again to those words. It's possible, and possibly even challenging, to some of you for hearing this story. Miss Nicole named this a little bit in our story. As Unitarian Universalists, we share many stories, paths, and journeys through faith. But there are also many that we don't share. Not everyone on this Zoom call is Christian or has ever been Christian or has been raised within a Christian idiom. And yet Christianity is such an undeniable force in our society. I ask your patience and trust in following this particular story along with me for a little while. One of the first books I was asked to read when I began seminary was The Truth About Stories by Thomas King. King is a writer and speaker of the First Nations traditions, a Cherokee and an American who now lives and teaches in Ontario, Canada. King's refrain throughout that series of essays is, the truth about stories is that's all we are. He also notes again and again that once a story is told, it cannot be untold. Once you hear a story, he says, it is yours. You can never say you went into the world without the knowledge of that story. Fast forward to the midpoint in seminary, right before I began here with you at UUCF. Every day I felt more and more as though I had successfully climbed that first long, slow clicking hill on the roller coaster of Unitarian Universalist ministry. And then I enrolled in a class on the New Testament. My friends, I was downright cranky about it. It was a hard class. It was an involved class. There was a lot to read, to think about. It took a lot of my time. And I struggled to find a way to connect this class to my ministry. I'm not Christian anymore, I protested. Too much? Sure, the Hebrew and Christian scriptures are both sources for our UU faith, but how relevant will this be to my ministry on a day-to-day -day basis? I mean, really. You might say I felt sad or under a curse. Now, while I managed to set aside my cranky attitude, mostly, when I was in class in person back when that was a thing we still did, I still wondered a lot about what to say in my final paper for this New Testament class. Where was my hook? 
into this material? Where did my story line up with all the stories we were learning? Not just the stories in the New Testament, but the stories and histories of the people and communities who created the New Testament, the first people to call themselves Christians. When was the time that I personally, raised Catholic, very devoted to the faith, my father a deacon in the church, leaving and returning to wrestle with the faith in childhood in adulthood, when when had I felt most Christian, most connected to this sense of community that was first being built piece by piece, letter by letter in first century Palestine? Why, it was when I listened to Godspell. I had the original soundtrack and I had the soundtrack from the 2011 Broadway revival. Not only was it a story I could not unhear, it was joyfully a part of my own story, staying special and meaningful to me, even as my relationship to Christ and Christianity changed. And please understand that the term Christian was not even used for some many years after the death of Jesus. Early communities sought and struggled to define themselves as Jews in light of his teachings. What about the law and dietary restrictions? What of circumcision? Paul's letters, in fact, go into the minutia of how these communities were to behave in regards to both the law and each other. When holding up the idea that our stories create our being and our sense of meaning, then what do we make of Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, when Jesus asks his disciples, and you, he asks, who do you say I am? Peter answers that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God, and Jesus is so pleased with this answer, with this story, that he gives assurances to Peter that he is the rock upon which his church will be built. But my friends, Matthew wasn't standing there a party to this conversation. We don't really have any idea who Matthew even was. His gospel was written, scholars tend to agree, towards the end of the first century of the Common Era, perhaps around 80 to 85 CE. Whoever he was, this was a story he was telling, something he could not himself forget or unhear, a story he had probably been told as part of an oral storytelling tradition that was also codified in earlier texts, such as the Gospel of Mark and other apocryphal and extrapolated earlier works that have been lost to history. Matthew and Mark, Luke and John, Peter and Paul, every person whose work was eventually collected into what we now know as the Christian scriptures was telling stories. They were answering Jesus's question for themselves. Paul's letters helped the communities at Philippi, Colossae, Thessalonica tell and shape their own stories. The record we have of this time is sparse, inconsistent, and sometimes upsetting to our 21st century sensibilities. And yet these stories persist and have arguably come to dominate Western culture in ways entirely unimaginable at the time of their creation. Wars have been fought, civilizations built and toppled, lands colonized, and persons enslaved all around differing answers to that question. Who do you say I am? We're learning from our choir today how beautiful many of those answers and those stories can be. Fast forward to the latter half of the 20th century, specifically to 1969. In that year, Harvey Cox, a professor at Harvard Divinity School, published his book, The Feast of Fools. This slender volume argues for a celebratory festive Christianity that Cox believed could be the, that 
Cox believed could bridge the unnecessary gap between the world changers and the life celebrators. One of the people who read Cox's work as he struggled with his own answer to the question, who do you say I am, was John Michael Tebelak, a 21-year-old white man who had been raised in the Episcopal Church and who was, in 1970, working on his master's thesis at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. He read The Feast of Fools and felt inspired. Cox writes, to Christ's pointed question of Peter, who do you say that I am, we can no longer conscientiously spout the conventional replies. So we clothe Christ in a clown suit and that way express many things at once, our doubts, our disillusionment, our fascination, our ironic hope. But we say something else too, something more distinctively contemporary. We say that our whole relation to Christ to any faith at all and to the exist and to the whole of existence for that matter is one of conscious play and comic equivocation only by assuming a playful attitude toward our religious tradition can we possibly make any sense of it only by learning to laugh at the hopelessness around us can we touch the hem of hope in America in 1969, one can only imagine that for a young man in college, the hopelessness around him felt very real and close. Taking up all these ideas, John Michael Tebelak created a musical theater expression of the parables and teachings of Jesus that we now know as Godspell. Young, energetic people of different races and genders wear clown makeup, which Jesus puts on them as he calls them to come with him, and sing sweetly memorable songs like Day by Day and By My Side. Although Tebelak died tragically young in 1985, he died of heart failure at the age of 35, we do have some stories that he himself told in interviews about the creation of this beloved musical. He told the story of feeling stuck on his thesis and choosing to attend Easter sunrise services, where he was disappointed by how bland and routine it felt, not at all joyously connected to the story of Christ's resurrection as it was purporting to celebrate. After the service, a police officer asked to search him for drugs because he was wearing overalls and a t-shirt. Disgusted, Tebelak tells the story of racing home to write something that captured the joy and sense of community he agreed with Cox should be present within Christianity. If you go Google Godspell, you can find this story really easily. That's where I found it. You can also read about how he got most of the words from the Gospel of Matthew and that the production originally used hymns and prayers from the Episcopal hymnal. After its original presentation at Carnegie Mellon, Tebelak and much of the original company took Godspell to an experimental theater off-Broadway in New York, and fellow Carnegie Mellon alum Stephen Schwartz was brought on to write original music, bringing the musical into shape before heading to Broadway for a run of over 2,600 performances. In the decade prior to the 2011 Broadway revival, dramatic licensing rights agency Music Theater International reported there had been over 5,000 licensed productions of Godspell, over 20,000 performances in schools and community theater groups and church basements. The story of Godspell could in fact be approached in a lot of different ways. Lots of different answers exist after all to Jesus's question. 
The musical may have started as one man's answer informed by 2000 years of tradition and scholarship, but as the production is created and recreated again and again, different people get to answer that question for themselves. Each actor cast in the role of Jesus answers it for themselves. Theater is a living, changing art form. It presents us with so many gifts. There's a different story that can be told here, however, a different answer. In 1970, Easter Sunday fell on March 29th. A month later, four students would be killed at Kent State University in Ohio, shot by Ohio National Guardsmen responding to the student protest of America's increased involvement in the war in Vietnam and the invasion of Cambodia. Two weeks before Godspell opened off-Broadway in 1971, 12,000 protesters were arrested in Washington, D.C., chanting to implore members of Congress to ratify a people's treaty to end the war in Vietnam. In a 1971 review of this production of Godspell written for Theology Today, Daniel Migliori writes, no effort is made to comment directly on current social and political problems. On the surface, at least, it is almost startlingly apolitical. At a deeper level, however, the spirit of Godspell may have far-ranging cultural and political significance. It remains to be seen whether the joyful piety which informs the clown children functions as an escape from history or as a transcending perspective within the tasks of history, within which the tasks of history may be creatively pursued. In the 1973 movie version of Godspell, the Christ figure and his disciples cavort in an eerily and beautifully empty New York City, the prominence of the Twin Towers taking on a poignancy for the 21st century viewer the film's director and choreographer could never have imagined. In many early productions of Godspell, Jesus is played by a white man while the character of John the Baptist and Judas is played by a black man, although this is not the case in either the original theatrical production nor in the movie, in, which, in both of which John and Judas were played by the same white actor. There have been multiracial and single race productions. There have been multi-gendered and all-female productions. The 2011 Broadway revival, opening 40 years after the musical first debuted, happened at the same time that Zuccotti Park was full of people determined to occupy Wall Street, carving their own sacred space. The pop rock music of Stephen Schwartz had influence on generations of Christian rock. The music embodied in Godspell also had an influence on the West Coast charismatic preachers who started baptizing young folks by the thousands on the beaches of California in the late 1960s and early 1970s, a Jesus movement for the 20th century that would alter the face of Christianity in America. The Jesus movement in first century Palestine was a very different animal, one obscured in many ways by the mists and myths of history. There is overwhelming agreement among historians that a person named Jesus existed. The people who first heard his messages were the poor, the enslaved, the very bottom rungs of the ladder of contemporary society at the time. 
Barring the invention of a time machine, we cannot go back and confirm the specificity of his meetings with tax collectors and prostitutes. However, we do have evidence that women played a role in the earliest days of the original Jesus movement and that their later exclusion was a function of paternalistic hegemonic power grabs. The young men who chose to answer, who do you say I am with the musical Godspell were men of privilege. Tebelak was a white Christian. Schwartz is Jewish. They had the resources to attend college and graduate school, meaning they and others of similar privilege were more readily able to avoid the draft and deployment to the war in Vietnam. And yet they did live at a time when the social order was being turned upside down, where the youngest, the most powerless, the least privileged adults, beginning with the 18-year-old males with mandatory selective service cards filled out and not yet burned, were being sacrificed in the name of a war most Americans couldn't agree on and many could not support. There is no direct textual evidence, at least none that I can find, that Tebelak's work was directly influenced by the violence at Kent State. Yet as he sought to laugh at the hopelessness around him and touch the hem of hope, it's possible that in addition to volumes on theology, he also read the editorial published in the New Yorker on May 16, 1970. It's possible he read these words. The war in its infinite prolongation has made impossible any realistic consideration of the immediate crises in ecology, in race, in urban decay, in poverty, in education, and in the daily content of life which now await us. The war has deepened all these divisions and crises and has made us suspicious of our leaders and cynical about their ability to lead us and their willingness to hear us. The war must be ended. The war must be ended now. War was an inescapable factor in the life and society of those who told the story of God's bell. Poverty and suffering and disregard were inescapable factors of life and society for those who listen, first listened to and retold the stories of Jesus in the first century. The glorious song we were just gifted by Madison, Beautiful City, was updated by Stephen Schwartz in 1992, following the acquittal of the police officers who murdered Rodney King and the painful protest that played out in Los Angeles. How much the world has changed, how much it has not. But all this is to ask all of us listening today not to disregard the importance of these stories of Christianity for us today, even if we do not profess a Christian faith. If stories create us, and if Christianity, for better or for worse, created our society of separations, then we must examine those stories. They tell us who we are. They have shaped who we are. The same stories inspired the loving and playful songs of Godspell that have inspired some to separate families at our borders, to separate races, to separate classes, separate us and them by orders of magnitude of wealth, separate humans from their rights to choose how and when and if to have a family, separate humans from their rights to clean water, to education, to healthcare. 
These stories are not ancient. They are living today. I implore us all to sit with them and within them to understand and to learn where we have come from. So we heard from our women's ensemble, the character in Godspell who is analogous to Mary Magdalene sings, where are you going? Can you take me with you far beyond where the horizon lies? Our, collect our collective storytelling and community making and music making is all that will get us beyond that horizon, beloveds. Let us craft that story together. <laughs> 